1: It's Rusty here, all strapped in for part two of my podcast with Russell Ingall. If you haven't checked out part one, jump back to the library and hit the go button. It's terrific. Lots of reflections on his early years in carts, how he lost that finger. You'll get a real sense of his immense hunger, and I mean immense, rolling the dice on a successful business to have a crack at making it in single-seater racing in Europe and the Formula One dream. Later, in the second part, the decision to move back home and into supercars, meeting and racing for Larry Perkins. We shouldn't underestimate just how good Russell's achievements were when he joined Perkins full-time, often putting himself in title contention through sheer determination when the tyre wars in those early years arguably didn't always make for a level playing field. We'll talk about Barry Sheen, the Stone Brothers and more. We pick up our conversation on the learnings of life racing in Europe. The games weren't just on the track.
0: It was being dumb on my part, not being street smart. You know, I had the smarts to make deals work and and drive and do all the rest of it, but I wasn't street smart enough outside, the, outside of the track. Um, and I think people that did make it and... You know, the Mark Webbers of the world and that sort of thing, they either surrounded themselves with people that were street smart and and knew how to play the game. Mm-hmm. I didn't, mm-hmm. you know. So I didn't know how to play the game. And uh, I'll give you an answer. Uh, for example, um, one of the last rounds in Nürburgring, um, the new Nürburgring, um, I qualified on the front row in, in F3. Um, Pedro Lamy was next to me. He was on pole and he was going for the championship. He had to... Um, if he won that race, he was going to win the German S3 championship. And a guy came up to me with Pedro Lamy and said, "Look, we're opal sponsored team. You know, we know You know, can we can we have an arrangement here that um, you know Pedro wants to win this, and you know we'll we'll make something work for you down the road." And and I'm sort of gone. There's these these tool bags coming up to me and going just throw a race or something, you know, so so he can win. I'm on the front row, you know, like one of the biggest races of the year, hundreds of thousands of spectators in front of the – I'll tell you what, what about you jam that where the sun don't shine and uh, I'll see you on the track, right? (laughs) As I found out later, the guy, that old boy that came up to me, he wasn't old then, but, yeah, was Willie Weber, right, Um, Michael Schumacher's manager, Manager, right, and Pedro Lamy's manager. So I've just told one of the biggest managers in Europe, to go jam it basically. So probably not the smartest thing to do you know, in the world. So again, just things like that. And uh, I'm, I'm sure they probably, and and I, I think that hurt me a little bit. But the other thing that hurt me was that oh, I got to the end of that. And, bef- and because of those results, uh, I, I thought it was going to be a little, I thought it was the European thing was coming to an end. And um, we, uh, the, the, I had a meeting with the Volkswagen team. And they had actually were one of the most competitive teams. They so were a Rolt factory team and mm-hmm. ran the Volkswagen uh, factory engines and, and they were it. And I had a chance to go in with that team. Uh, at the same time, Ralph Furman rang me up and said, right, um, we, they'd been running their own F3 car, the Van Diemen built one in the Formula 3 um, with Jason Plato mm-hmm. in, uh, in the British Championship. And we're getting mixed results, but they were getting better. And they said, "Look, Russell, we got a Japanese backer. He's going to back us to the hilt with this thing, um, with this, with this F3. Uh, they want a driver. We want you driving it. And we're going to do the European and British Championship, and we want you in the seat." And I sort of went, "Oh, jeez, hang on. We'll drive here in Germany potentially, and one back here, and it's a paid drive." And I thought, "Oh, damn it." No, I'm going to take the British one because I had in the back of my mind, I've got to go back to Britain. If I win the British F3 championship, that's going to take me to F1. Mm. And uh, uh, went there uh, just before about two weeks out from the season starting, the Japanese backer pulled out, whole program collapsed, and that was it. I couldn't get back to Germany, and I was out, I thought. Damn it! What an idiot! And just to rub salt into the wound, the Volkswagen team that year went on to win the German Formula Three Championship. So I thought, mm. just uh, yeah. So that was I. I, I thought I thought um, I thought my days were out there. But that that's, then that rolled in because Ralph felt so guilty about it. He said, "Well, look, we don't want to see you not have a year." with ink. so. Mm. He he paid me to race the new ZTEC Formula Four Championship. That's when they used the new twin cam engine. Yep. And that was that big year where we ran thirteen or sixteen races, won the Formula Ford World Cup at Brands Hatch, and uh, yeah, so that was that's what led into that. But um, yeah, that was a game changer because probably if I stayed in Germany, there was a good chance I was going to be definitely the top three, but a good chance of winning that championship. And uh, especially after learning all the tracks for a year. Yeah. Learning how the system worked—that would have been that would have been a game changer. That would have been if I won the German Formula Three Championship. That would have guaranteed me a deal in three thousand, and then you would have been knocking on the door. But one wrong move, and didn't happen. But mm. not not that I was to know. But again, just not being smart enough, you know, to mm. to pick pick the right game, you know. And whereas mm. probably someone else would have gone, no, nah, don't do that. Stay here, do this. You made you establish yourself. Mm. You're a foreigner that's made a name for himself in Germany. Make the most of it. But again, that. I mm. didn't have advice. I was just going on my instincts, and the instincts mm. were wrong. You know. Mm. But anyway, that was. Uh, but mate, that year in Germany was so cool, and uh, got to do some cool stuff. Um, cool race, raced in Monaco. Um, that that was that was outstanding, Greg. Honestly. Um, if, if there's one story out of all this that probably highlights anything, it's that you know, you know, Yeah. fantastic race, isn't it? Fantastic. And so you imagine again this kid from from Adelaide, you know, in this two-year-old GIO jacket because that was the only one I was still kicking around, and it's corduroy, which made it even <laughs> more bogan. <bugging. laughs> and we're and we're standing in the in the tunnel because we we the F3s raced on the Saturday. Yep. Um, and our passes um, kept us over so we could go out on the Sunday. So I said, okay, all right. So so here we are in, in Monaco. So this outrageous, filthy, rich, you know, there were some of the wealthiest people in the world there, biggest motorsport event in the world. Um, and, and number one, I, I raced at the track there. I think we finished ninth uh, on the Sunday um, from 16th or something. So I was... Pretty stoked about that. Mm. And um, so we had had a really good weekend. Um, And there we are standing in the tunnel in a practice session. I remember this vividly. So in those days, you could actually walk through the tunnel. There was a walkway down one side where the officials sort of or the flaggers stand. And so during the practice sessions, you go down and walk through that tunnel. You couldn't stop, but you could keep walking through. So walking through there in a practice session and you got You know, and Senna, Mansell, prost all the heroes of that era. And the great cars. Mm. In those turbo eras. And Mm. it was just loud as hell. And I'm sort of standing there going, are you serious? Here's, Here's this dude from Australia, from Adelaide, standing here in one of the world's most outrageous events and biggest events, watching Formula One cars that I could just almost reach out and touch. Nice. and i i walk it through again i this is this is ridiculous you know and and, and the whole the whole work it was and and even at nights you know i will grab julia and we will go out and get a takeaway or get something um not there's not many mcdonald's places in monaco i can tell you <laughs> you are wander through this joint and just just you know watch all the all the massive boats and everyone's in their tucks and there's piano players on the back of boats and and you're just walking through. and we're walking through all this all weekend and just going man this is if it ended if it ended tomorrow I'd be happy you Mm. know because just doing cool stuff like that to have been there Mm. I I lie when I say that because when then tomorrow came right right, let's go let's get (laughs) back on let's get back on with the deal but it it was those sort of outrageous things and and stuff that uh, again not many people know about but to do have the opportunity to do that that Mm. um, that that you never get to do again ever you know and and uh, to, number one to race on that track, but also just to walk around amongst that sort of atmosphere um, was just uh, unbelievable. So that that ninety-two year in F, German F3 was was probably a, a major highlight. You know, everyone talks about Bathurst wins and that sort of thing, but I look back at some of that stuff and go, "That's cool because that would never happen again." Mm. You know, not not my lifetime anyway. So.
1: And, and I'm glad, Russell, that you've paused to um, appreciate. Some of the results along the way. You talked about the front row, uh, you know, appearance there at the Nurburgring, and and um, some of the drivers that you competed against. I um, mean, there's even stuff that that I digress here for a moment. You know, things like Macau, where you went 23rd to fifth, battling the likes of David Coulthard. I mean, there's just there's there's great things like that. Can I can I pick up on something from your last answer there? You talked about Senna coming through the tunnel. You've talked about wandering around Monaco with Julia. Julia clearly, from from you know an early age, has uh, an eye for photography. She's she's even now the landscape shots and things that she does are beautiful. But she strikes up a little bit of a friendship with Ed and Senna, and took some great great photos of him. I mean, that stuff is surreal too, Russell, isn't
0: it? I think he's trying to crack on to a great. <laughs> Actually, not sure about this because this was uh, this was in '91. I did uh, a couple of one-off races in Vauxhall Lotus which was um, just below F3, British F3, uh, one make series and super fast cars. And and we um, – uh, Martin Donnelly, um, the ex-F1 driver who had that horrific crash and, and did serious injuries to his legs, uh, he was running a Vauxhall Lotus team and uh, he offered me the drive. Um, he said, look, do you want to come up and do a one-off at the British Grand Prix in the Vauxhall Lotus? So, Hell yeah, let, let's do it. So, uh, again, I think we qualified – uh, qualified in the front row for that as well, so we. we um, it was amazing. It was a just amazing weekend. And uh, and like, anyway, so we. He knew that Julia was a a, a a photographer, and and just to roll back a little bit, Julia actually did photography before we went overseas. That's how we met. Okay. Um, because she was a, she was an Australian photographer, and she had deals with Nissan Motorsport and um, with Brock. Um, with um, Holden dealer team back when it was then. Um, So she used to do all the press photography for those teams and that's back when it was old school. Mm -hmm. So she she used to take the photos on the Friday, Friday night. She'd be working all night um, in the development baths. That's She was no digital. She was each of your bath and you put it in, then hang it up on pegs on a line and that sort of thing and then give it to all the teams on Saturday morning for all their press kits because that's when she was... No social media, of course, mm. so everyone had a press kit with the photos from the Friday practice sessions and that sort of thing. So she was trying to make out a little, you know, a business for herself doing that and, and doing very well and uh, and travelled the countryside and, and that's how we actually met. Um, was uh, She actually stayed at my place uh, for the Australian Grand Prix and she was photographing for the Australian Grand Prix uh, Grand Prix Corporation so so that's how we actually met and started dating and, and that's how it all went so she had to give up a lot of that when we went overseas and follow me for what I was doing and um, yeah so so she was uh, she was doing it just you know just a little bit of freelance stuff only for herself while we were mm-hmm. in, in England and Europe and uh, yeah so we are at Silverstone um, and um, Martin Donnelly uh, said oh do you you want to go over the formula 1 pits and have a look around and and I said well look take Julia because you know she she would want to take some photos and that so take her in there so anyway so martin takes her in the formula 1 pits and they're walking around back of silverstone anyway she comes back and she's like oh guess what so what Oh, I just sat down with and, had, and uh so, so she's gone up to Ayrton Center because she had this beautiful, which oh, I can see it from here actually across the yeah. room, beautiful picture that she took at Adelaide Grand Prix and it was a real stance one, you know. Mm-hmm. It was really concentrating on the start of a race. And uh, so she wanted it signed. So Martin took her in with a photo and got it all personally signed and then he said, oh, I'm just about to have a cup of tea. Do you want a tea? So they sat down for half an hour having a bit of a chat and a tea. And, <laughs> and, uh, and she, so she comes back and goes... Oh yeah, I just met Ed Senna. We just had a cup of tea. I'm going, oh, oh, sir. oh, thanks, thanks for, that. thanks for the invite. Like you know, so she's just, but uh, I, I mean, you talk at highlights. I'm sure that's that's one of hers because mm-hmm. again, that was her absolute idol in, in as far as motorsport goes, and she is a, a serious petrol head, and uh, is was Ed Senna. So again, to meet your idol very rarely happens in life, and uh, especially someone. Like him and, and and we were in Europe um, when uh, when he lost his life and mm. and it was it was different again over there, Greg. Being in in Europe and experiencing that and and it was like I've never experienced anything like it. The devastation and and the shock that went through the motorsport community over there mm. was just unbelievable. And then everything that happened after that, it was just um, uh, yeah, it was just incredible. Mm. Um, but but to have the have the chance to actually meet him and and that sort of thing. So again, you know, you sort of put that in the in the memory box and you go, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that, that was that was cool.
1: Very. I want to get to the supercars chapter in a moment, Russell. But before we conclude this this overseas part of your your career, you talked about Ralph Furman giving you the opportunity to to go uh, to Formula Ford again, 93, 13 of sixteen. You talked about that record breaking year and the you know the festival as well. I mean, that was a huge thing. Did you, when you ticked that box, did you hope that that you know the chance to go back to Formula Three somewhere, or was that were you hoping that ticket would that phone call would come, Russell? And what what transpired in the wake of of that Formula Ford crown?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, because of because of messing out and, like I said, making those wrong calls in F three and, and getting the bad news that the British program fell fell apart. Uh, I mean, it's great. I mean, so, someone like Ralph Furman, Stature, who is one of the biggest car manufacturers in Europe, you know, s- still offered me a deal, you know. Mm. I mean, he could have quite easily said, oh, sorry, lights out, but at least he offered me something, which was great, and that's a relationship that we had. Um, I, I realised because it was taking a step back again from F3, that I had to make it count. Mm. And the thing is, and, and what went against me anyway was my age, I was getting too old at that stage to be going backwards. I, I, kn- I knew I had to keep getting uh, progressing forward. So I had that age thing, which was a was an issue for me. I, I never thought of it that, but unfortunately, in the outside motorsport circles, it did. And so I knew I had to punch it out the park, like not just win, like, like smash it. Mm. And I realised if I was going to do it, that's what I had to do. And... Uh, and that was a mindset all along, didn't matter what, and I took some massive risks um, on the track. Uh, but again, it's this the learning experience of, you know, if you're about to take an uppercut, you know, make sure you can duck, you know, mm. and, and uh, I was ducking a lot and, um, yeah, it, it was an outstanding year. And, and I think that's what at least gave me another, another year or two in the game was mm. because of 90, because of that year. Um, because if I if I didn't get any results there, or, or just got a place, that would have been it. She would have been on the on the slow ship back to Oz, and and lights out. Mm. Uh, so that was that was a massive year. But I, again, it was the the competition was fierce. And that World Cup, that for our Brands Hatch, mm. um, again you talk at special moments and highlights of careers, and to have your name up at they call it the. Uh, uh, the uh, the Kentagon there at, at Brands Hatch because it's shaped like a 50-cent piece, this yep. bar, pub, you know, eatery right in the middle of Brands Hatch and they've got a big plaque up on the wall and all those plaques and you look at it and it's Jensen Buttons, Ayrton Um, you know, think of Mansell, any any of the big names that you'd think of, they all are. And then there in, you know, in the 1993, 90, uh, Russell Engle, I'm going, <laughs> yeah, look at this. I mean, that's... You know, it's 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 pretty. That was a pretty big deal for us in total. And, uh, um, and but the event as such was just you got hundreds of Formula Fords just, just just there, and and it's just a knockout heats. Mm. You know, you're just in there, and each heat, you don't win that heat, you're out. You know, mm. so it was just it was just insane the, the the level of competition for it, and it's just unfortunate that you can't. Share that with other people at the magnitude of it, you know, because mm. you just say, Oh, it's a Formula Ford race. What a Formula Ford race, like this was best this in was the unbelievable. world. Oh, mm. it was, yeah. it was. And, and there's they used to get drivers come back from other categories, from Formula 3000, from Formula 3, used to come back to Formula Ford just so they could do the festival. You know, that's how big it was. You know, so you had named drivers in there as well. And uh, yeah, she was. Uh, that, that, was, that was a big event. But again, there was, there was two things. Winning the event itself, unbelievable, and the championship. Uh, but secondly, the byproduct of that is it kept me in the game still. Mm. Okay, Radio. we're back in the game. Got me in the Japanese drive in F3 and uh, she was back, you know, and then Formula Renault after that. And um, it, was, it was continued on, you know. least so mm. I was still in the game, still fighting, you know, but I was running out of time. You know, and I and I knew it. You know, so probably the stage towards the end of Europe. Uh, that's when I had to make the call. Well, the call was made for me because mm. after that win in '95, that was a call. But it was a uh, made. It was it was difficult to step away because once you step away from Europe, you never go back. Mm. That that's it. It's lights out. And when you look at all the all the effort and and the the dodging and the stealing and everything else that went with it. <laughs> uh, you know, to walk away from that was, was bloody hard. You know, it was, um, yeah, sometimes you wish you still had it go. But at that stage, it was, you know, British Touring Car Championship was really hard to get into. There was a couple of few options there that might have been a... Uh, but the unfortunate part about it, the Formula One dream was fading. Mm. And uh, from that point on, 93 on, and, and that was that was hard because um, that was a goal. Mm. Formula One was a goal, and it might have seemed a bit heady, but, um, you know, to this day, I, I, I still believe if I made the right calls and got there, I reckon I could have done it. I, I don't know whether that seems a bit egotistical or not, but um, I wouldn't have gone to all that effort if I didn't think it was. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, wouldn't put, I wouldn't have put my whole life... on on hold and on the line if I didn't think I could do it and uh, I think ability I I know ability I had it like I said I just wasn't street smart enough but anyway you live and learn on that one The Enforcer was also a 1976 Dirty Harry Clint Eastwood film Imagine Dirty Harry drove a supercar as well. That would be the ultimate enforcer.
1: You touched on the difficulty of of making the call. Just just firstly, my ears pricked up there a moment ago. Can you share which potential British touring car teams may have been interested in you before you made the the big move back home and and a, and a great career in supercars?
0: Yeah. Um, unfortunately, again the way my luck rolls, I had a I had a pretty serious test and a lot of discussions throughout the year. With the the factory BMW uh, team, uh, with Vic Lee, um, unfortunately, Vic Lee got done that year for a drug smuggling, <laughs> um, cocaine in um, in gas in uh, air cylinders um, across from Europe into Britain. So that didn't work out so well. It definitely didn't work out so well for him. Um, I'm not sure whether he's still uh, taking a holiday or not. Yeah, so. Uh, hence that team folded. So, so that was that was um, that was one of the tests, and uh, and I was pushing hard with the Ford team, uh, who, uh, who Craig Bed, you know, Craig Bed was driving mm. the Mondeo for a lot of years and there. So I was sort of angling towards that because of the Formula Ford connection, but again, it was one of those things where it was just bad Like The person I was negotiating with in it in at Ford Europe. Uh, end up leaving that position. Someone new came in. So, again, it was just it just wrong place, wrong time. As you, again, this is a, mm. it seemed to be a bit of a consistent thing. I'm going, damn it, you know, every time I, I jiggle, it's, I'm jiggling the wrong way here. So, uh, yeah, so that didn't uh, – but that, again, the British touring Car Championship was – because the Formula Ford series used to follow outstanding. Like some mm. of the racing was ridiculous how good it was. So mm. I was sort of interested in that because I, I, I looked at it as a Formula Ford with a body on it. Mm. So I think – and it was hard racing, you know, so I think I would have really enjoyed that side of it. But probably inside of me as well, I still wasn't ready to give up the open wheeler dream yet. Mm. So I probably didn't push as hard as I should have, you know, because I still had in the back of mind I could still do it. Um, But, you know, as it turned out, it um, didn't didn't roll that way. Just
1: expand on the turning point for you then, Russell, because – you know, Larry Perkins has, um, has detailed at functions that you and I have been to about, you know, the tragic loss, obviously, of, of Greg Hansford, who'd had success with him at Bathurst in in 93. Um, there was an opportunity for a new co-driver with Larry Perkins, one of the all-time greats of of uh, touring car racing in this country. I mean, to, to partner up with LP for the great race, huge opportunity, wasn't
0: it? Oh, absolutely. You know, that, and that and and that was that's what changed the path, you know, mm. going, getting that call. Um, like I said, in our little, you know, two bedroom semi-detached house in, in Peterborough over in, uh, in UK and getting that call there first time I thought it was a prank when he rang because it was a typical what do he say uh, what, what do you reckon Larry Perkins would have said can I cock what are you doing for Baptist? <laughs> you got it you got it straight out straight out and I thought uh, some, one of my mates back in Australia having a bloody run at me here so I, I said Who, I said who's this piss off like and he's gone uh, it's, it's Larry <laughs> oh, oh, oh hi Larry and uh, he's um. Yeah, so he he threw, he threw that one at me and uh, I said, well, yeah, absolutely. You know, I've got nothing too much on the table now. So there was no intent at that stage to go back to Australia, mm. right? Not at all. I was still working on trying to get another drive, mm. right, for 95. So mm. I, I was still working on that. I'd raced Japanese Formula 3 um, in uh, uh, that year and I was sort of semi-living there and semi-commuting back to because Julia had a pretty good job with IBM in in uh, in UK, so um, she stayed in UK, and I was sort of spending months at a time in Japan, and then coming back in between. Mm-hmm. Um, but the intention was to still try and keep going. So I had no intentions to come back.
1: Clearly, that resonated with Larry too, Russell, because he'd done similar hard yards. That was a, a, a path he admired. Clearly, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, and and that's and and later on, what and I did ask him, but you mm-hmm. know why I got the call and and that's what he said. Well, there's two things. It was exactly what you said because he regarded anyone that took a swing overseas Mm -hmm. and was successful at it, he regarded really high Mm -hmm. because he knew, again, this is rolling right back to what I said earlier on at first parts of our discussion about the level of competition was so high. He said, if you can go right over there, you can go right anywhere. Mm. So... That was his first call. The second call was, was again, not too many people know this, and probably the biggest one, believe it or not, and it shows you the character of Larry Perkins. That they had a lineup of everyone at um, at sandown of all the Formula Ford champions, right? Mm, awesome. Over over the period of time, I think it was before one of the touring car races, or I, I can't remember what it was, what the event was for. And all I know is that sandown was standing at the armco, and we're all lined up, you know, and Larry was next to me. Okay, right. Uh, anyway, so they had all the Formula Fords lined up and, you know, there was some of the other young younger ones too that were there. And and Larry, um, he made an off-the-cuff comment standing next to me about I was talking to him about Formula Fords and, oh, uh, yeah, they're a bit, you know, what they like to drive compared to what his. And, and he made it off-the-cuff. He said, oh, and he looked down at, like, three or four of us lined up there and said, Oh, look, I could probably jump in one of these things and probably still kick your backsides, you know? And all the, and then the three guys next to me, the three kids next to me, they were sort of they sort of went, Oh, okay, Larry, and sort of looked away and looked down. And I just turned around, looked at him and said, Larry, anytime you're ready, mate, anytime <laughs> and we'll have a go. Because good luck with that. All right. So uh, just straight straight down, gun barrel, pointed straight at him, right, straight at him. And he's just going, oh, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. and he's turned around <laughs> and he reminded me of that, and this was years after, and he reminded me of that and said, you know what, Out of how I know that you actually had it mm. is because all those other drivers shied away, you're the only one that came back at me. Mm. Not daunted. No, mm-hmm. if you did that, you're not, you're not worried about anything. Mm. I said, that's what I want driving my car. I went, oh, Okay. Just that one thing, so there you go. So I did a lot of things wrong. That one I got right. So mm. and, and that's why I got the drive. So you still
1: have the European thing burbling away. Julia's in in England, as you as you said. Um, and you, you know, a great uh, chance comes up with with Larry. At what point? Was it was it the Bathurst win in '95? What was it? What was the, the point where you went? I've got to get on this bandwagon. This this uh, touring car, come supercars thing is going to take off. It'll be good for me. I did you did you just feel like you you couldn't get that last break in the open wheeler side of things in Europe? What what was the stopping point?
0: Uh, age, yeah, my age. I suddenly come to the realization. You know, I'm sort of was getting up into the sort of mid twenties, and you know, I. I I uh, got back from that Bathurst win, which I never expected, you mm. know. So I never expected that when I packed my bags from Peterborough, jumped on the plane at Heathrow, and that I'd be rolling back with, you know, trophy, you know, winning the biggest race in, in motorsport.
1: Mega achievement, Russell. Given Like you talked about the nosebleeds before and how it made you feel to conquer the mountain. That must have been mighty.
0: Uh, you know what, though? I found it really easy. Did you? I found, I found it easy because of what happened on that first lap Mm. because all of a sudden I went from having the world on my shoulders to here's this dude that's been racing over in Europe, yeah, seems to have a bit of talent, Uh, overhearing, um, I overheard a few journalists on the grid before that start of that race in '95 comment that, uh, again, you talk about fire in the belly, um, Mm -hmm. uh, comment that oh, uh, who do you think your chances are? And they went through, you know, and Glen Seton and, you know, Scaife and, you know, they got, they got to Larry's car and they said, oh, yeah, Larry's always in with a shot. And I said, yeah, but, you know, his co-driver's got no experience. He's probably going to let him down. And I, this was an earshot, probably not knowing that I was listening. I go, oh, really? Okay. All right. Take that on board. Mm. Um, so that was one thing. I thought, yeah, I, I don't respond well to that sort of stuff. And then... The, the, uh, the second part was what happened on lap one mm. because when that tyre went down, we went a lap down, all the pressure was gone off mm. of me. You know, I could go out and if I shunted the thing, you know what? Uh, well, you shunted it because you're having a go. So there was no pressure all of a sudden. So every mm. stint that I drove in that car, I was just giving it a massive big, a lot bigger than I probably would have if, if we were leading the race or in contention normally, but there was mm. no pressure. Mm. So I could just go out and do what I did best, and not worry about anything. So in hindsight, it actually probably worked out best because it it, it made me Larry done it plenty of times. It made no difference to how he was going to approach the race. Mm. I was a bit different because I'm 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 sitting I'm sharing a car with someone that's expected to win the race and one of the biggest names in motorsport. Mm. So. Bit of pressure there for someone for very. A, a relative novice, you know. So, uh, but that took that all away. So the way it panned out probably helped us win that race, you know. That that um, I, I could actually have a big swing at it without the pressure of you know, of stuffing it up, you know.
1: Massive Russell, absolutely massive. So, the the supercars chapter for you rates um, you know very highly with with lots of fans. You've talked about you know age being um, sadly a, a big. Determining factor in in the European thing ceasing, but what opens with that that Bathurst win with with Larry with you know partnerships with with uh, you know various organisations that you've talked about already was the start of something very special for you. When did the Enforcer tag come along and who who kind of christened that? I, I sense it's a journo.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're dead right. Paul Gover was the one that kicked that off. And, mm. and and there was a lot of reasons towards it too because like 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 obviously after the after the 95 win and I went back to UK, Larry rang back up again and said, look, um, uh, we're going to drive for you full time if you want it. Uh, Castro I want to put on a second car because he was only a solo car runner and mm-hmm. – And uh, it's there if you want it. And there was nothing else happening, uh, nothing solid Mm. in Europe. Like I said, the age thing was always a concern. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm old here, but I'm young in Australia. And so, you know, between all of us, uh, we just decided that was going to be the gig. So packed up bags, which was a hard call, Greg. You know, it it was hard after punching away for that long. And 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 we did it, you know. So we thought, oh, okay. Well, um, let's have a go. It could be worse things in the world to do. And, <laughs> and it, probably timing was right. So um, for once, I did get the timing right, <laughs> you know, because that's when supercars were starting to change and uh, and and the whole um, the way it was being marketed and 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 the inception of supercars was happening, you know, <laughs> the, the tag. So it was a good time to do it, and. Uh, um, yeah, so it, it was the two car team roll back.
1: What did he say to you about a wage? I bet that was now. Look, that there, there won't be a huge, will be a huge amount of money. Cock in this.
0: Serious? If, if I, that, that's what that's what makes me laugh a bit with some of the young guys now when they're going, out. they're they're probably whinging about like, oh, you only got to pay me a couple hundred grand. Trust me. I reckon I would have got more money, <laughs> I reckon, selling ice creams at the front of Surface Paradise there. <laughs> um, it was, uh, yeah, she was pretty, pretty slim, but, you know, what? I, I know people always say to me, like, you know, oh, you just, you know, you're always in it for a buck. or Yeah, I'm wheeling to deal a lot because that's what I've always done since I was a kid, you know, wheeling and deal, you know, whether it be working on mate's cars or buying and selling cars or buying and selling parts, you know, uh, that's the way I've always been. But at the end of the day, I, I took that drive for ridiculous money. I probably could have gone somewhere else for more money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did it because, number one, Larry gave me the break to do yep. it. He was the one that, that gave me the opportunity when others clearly didn't and wouldn't, and I wanted to drive for him. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so you can say what you want and all the rest of it, or others can, but, you know, I, I did that for the reason, not the money. Yep. You know, so... Um, and definitely not for the money, <laughs> but, but, but again, you know, you got to look long term. I realised if I'm going to make a long term career out of this, this is where I'm at now. Forget Europe. Not going to be a Formula One star. That's life. Get on with it. If I'm going to make a go of this, I I've got to. And learning from what I've learnt overseas about what I said earlier about S three, not mm-hmm. positioning myself right. Mm-hmm. So this time I'm going to position myself right
1: okay get, get on the bandwagon
0: yeah. yeah this time I'm going to get it right so <laughs> get for the right people make it right make it for the right reasons and and because it's going to be the rest of my career mm. so so again so this time you know do what you learn so uh, I, I definitely did it that time and, and and that's why but yeah yeah he was uh, he was not known for spending a dollar off. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, again, that was good because, like you said, he's not going to spend money on palm trees. He's going to spend it on making fast cars. Cars, exactly. Fast exactly. cars is what got, you know, four runners up in the championship, um, two Bathurst wins, mm. you know, so you'd you take that all day long over palm trees, that's mm-hmm. for
1: sure. Most definitely. And it was the beginning of, you know, a huge rise in the popularity of the of the sport. Was the enforcer nickname, and we love that sort of stuff. I mean, I think Paul Radisic was the rat. There were all these nicknames that started to, to, to come through it. Was that both, you know, in terms of, uh, of character, of the commercial side of it, a blessing obviously, but did it come with some, you know, challenges I guess as well in terms of perception and things like that?
0: To, to ask a question a bit earlier, yeah, uh, Paul goebel was actually, who's a journalist, actually came up with it and uh, mentioned it in a couple of columns and, and we used to talk about it a bit and, and he, he said about the black hat and the white hat because everyone wanted to be the next Peter Brock. Mm. Um, no one wanted to be the Alan Moffat mm. who, who was seen as the aggressor, you know. And, and I said, well, look. Um, Sport needs that, Russell, doesn't it? It needs that. Mm. It, it's, it's about personalities and you know that better than anyone. Mm. I mean, you've you, you been part of the media for so long, you know. I mean, that's what you guys, you guys want to talk to someone that's, that's got something to say, mm. you know, at the end of the day. And, and so I was quite happy to roll with that and, and I could see the, the commercial sense in it. And also, it wasn't far from the truth because of the atmosphere that I'd just come from, I'd mm. just come from, you know, racing in, in some of the world's toughest categories with some of the world's toughest drivers and harshest environments. And, and I was I was sharp, you know. I came mm. back and it was like there's only one spot and that's that fresh air out front, you know. Uh, I'm not going to be sucking up exhaust fumes from someone else. I'm going to be mm. giving them, you know. So, mm. um and that was a mentality I come with, and it rubbed a lot of people up because when I came back here, there was still a lot of the owner races going on. So mm-hmm. people were Dick Johnsons and, you know, people owned the cars, owned the team, were still racing, you know, and, and so you took it to heart a bit if they got, you know, banged up a bit. or uh, And they couldn't deal with it initially, I felt. I, I felt that because I came back and I was pretty aggressive mm-hmm. because that's the way I've always raced. I didn't oh. do it to rub people up the wrong way or whatever, Mm, mm. that's where I've come from. I come from kill or be killed. Yes. You know, so uh, and and a lot of people that and a lot of the public couldn't get their head around that. Mm. So I think the whole Enforcer thing started coming along and started rolling and and making a bit bit more sense in the respect that it probably took a little bit of that pressure off where people Mm -hmm. started to warm to it and go, you know, over the years and, and go, oh, yeah, well, you know, uh, yeah, we we get on board with that. A lot of people used to hate it too. So you got just as much as hate mail as you did, you know, friendly. But but at least you got that's what you want. Mm. No one wants warm and fuzzy all the time. Everyone, the only way a sport works is when you got like dislike. You got controversy, you know. And and I seem to somehow fall in the middle of all of that a lot of the time. But it also had its downsides. I, I believe um, a lot of a lot of people probably in some of the. Uh, in some certain areas and positions, might uh, that might listen to this, might might think not, but um, or not agree with it, is that the trouble is with having a tag like that. You know, sometimes I could have been sitting in the grandstand and I would have got blamed for something that happened out on the track. You know, mm. and 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 I think that sometimes rolled down into individuals that probably had a bit of influence within certain decisions that were made on track. Um, and when I look back at some of the championships that I lost by only a few points, and then I look back at some of the events that I got uh, penalties for or whatever, and um, I look back at that and go, you know what, if it was in today's environment, it'd be a non-event, that, mm. that penalty wouldn't have applied or would have been. Um, again, I think it was a leftover from there was a, the gentleman racing thing to people People couldn't get their head around real hard racing and and, and some of the people making decisions of that era couldn't get their head around it as well. Mm. Some probably should have and should have known better, um, I believe. Um, And and like I said, it's only my opinion. But uh, at the end of the day, um, I know it cost me a couple of championships of decisions that were made. And and so I paid a penalty for being the enforcer, Mm. uh, I believe. But on the upside of it, there was a lot of pluses too. You know, and it got a good following out of it and and people liked it and and as as it went on, and I believe it 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 transitioned into especially now, they're starting to realise if you want controversy, if you want entertainment, it's gotta start on the track. Mm. Gotta start on the track. You know, you can't can't watch a a good rugby or league match, you know, without having tackling. Mm. You know, if you took the tackling away, it'd be pretty, pretty average. Absolutely, <laughs> pretty average game, and mm-hmm. you got to have it with this. And 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 I think, and I believe it's changed now. People getting their head around it as as time went on. But back then it was hard work, and mm-hmm. uh, and you got chastised a bit about it, you know. So mm-hmm. it, it was, um, but you know, it was. Um, I, I never regret it. I never mm-hmm. would go back and change my style or how I did it. Uh, and if I didn't like, if I like someone, I'd, I I have respect, for, and that's the difference. I always have respect for people. If I didn't like someone, I'd tell them. Mm-hmm. And I tell them straight to their face. But if I liked someone, or 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 or, or, or liked the way they drove, or I respected them, mm-hmm. and I never had issues with people that I respected, I never had problems with the likes of someone like Dick Johnson or Peter Brock, and I raced against them, and uh, because I respected them and what they'd achieved as racers, you mm-hmm. know, uh, there was a lot that I did that that. That I didn't, <laughs> and 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 hence, um, I wasn't shy about letting them know that on the track, you know. Mm. So, um, yeah. So that I think I think there's definitely a difference here. You got to you got to still have respect for your competitors as well, yep. uh, the ones that have earned respect, you know. Yep. So.
1: Cool. Two Bathurst wins, which were mighty, and only a couple of years apart, is one of them a favourite for different reasons, and I love. I love the post-race vision of you and things like that, what it meant to you, Russell, all those hard yards in Europe and, and knowing how significant those moments would be for, you know, the decade or more still to come in your supercars career.
0: Oh, absolutely. And they still, uh, like I said, there's there's moments in time with, like I said, about Monaco and Macau mm. and and the former Ford World Cup and Festival. You know, they're, they're all... They're all up there with the Bathurst, but in a different way. Mm. But then you get to the Bathurst of and um, and, and even now, you know, the, it's quite a, getting on. Quite a few years ago, the amount of people that recall that that you bump into, whether it be a restaurant or a pub or just just at a racetrack, you know, and they recall that It shows you the um, how, how the enormity of that those two mm. that, that event as such. It's probably why I used to get nosebleeds all the time. But <laughs> um, but the enormity of it to the public, you know, yes. and you probably don't realise that until decades after and then people will still remember it, still go on about it and go, Jesus, okay. And even a younger generation of, of motorsport fans who have gone back and looked at those races and go, hey, that was pretty cool, mm. you know. So um, it never stopped sinking in, <laughs> I, I think. It, it, it definitely... Definitely was hard to take back then of of what it, what had just happened, but then it never stops. It mm. keeps going. You know, you never get sick of it. And uh, uh, yeah, they definitely you definitely. I mean, cha- look, making you know, state championship was yep. it was good because that's as a race driver, that's what you always want to win because that's a year's worth of work. Mm. You know, not just one one week. That's a year's worth of work. Um, but uh, but you'd never you always put. Um, Bathurst on a on a pedestal—that's for sure.
1: Most definitely, Barry Sheen would feature significantly in your life, mate. And you wrote about this very recently. He would have been, sadly, he would have been seventy uh, not long before we recorded this this podcast, which is crazy. He'd still be as mad as ever and having a good laugh, which is which is great. Just share with people if you can um, uh, the impact he did have on you and why you guys got on so well and. Uh, you know the ultimate move that you did to to Ford the big switch that you did to Ford. He played quite a card in that, quite a part in it, didn't he?
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, firstly, what a great guy. I mean, I mm. mean, you you you, I mean, you were great mates with him too, Greg, on a, on a, both a personal and professional level. And, and uh, yeah, just a, just a massive just a massive loss, you know, mm. to I, I think to society as well because you you don't get too many Barry Sheens. <laughs> you know, and some of the, oh, Honestly, uh, if if we had another hour here, it's got some cracker stories. But um, he's uh, he was definitely a man uh, with a key to the key to the world, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so you know, we, we we just struck up a friendship over there. I, I think he liked. I think we got along well because of you know the way I went about racing the European side of it as well, because obviously you know. He'd raced all through Europe and, I, okay, had two wheels, not four, but knew the challenges as well. So I think he was one that could appreciate that and, uh, and both pretty knockabout sort of people. So uh, I, we, we struck up a friendship there and he started giving me some, uh, just advice on, you know, motorsport in general and, and the game, you know. And again, um, I, I didn't need advice on how to drive. I knew, I, you never knock back a, not, a advice on, how to stay in the game and how to do the game better outside mm. the car. And he used to give me advice on that all the time. And And um, he um, he always, we, we holidayed with him. So when we were living in Melbourne, we used to come up and stay at his, his place at Carrara. And, uh, and he always was on to me about moving up here. He said, you got to move up here. you got to move up here. I said, well, can't. I've got to live near the team, you know. And, you know, that's, that's a gig. You've got to be in the same state as your team. All, all these drivers that stay away from not to live in the same state as their team, no good. You've got to stay. If you want to be dedicated, you've got to be in there. And uh, uh, he said, well, great. We'll just change teams. <laughs> Get on you, Baz. Yeah, just change teams. And lo and behold, off he goes and starts, oh, I've got some meetings with you. And and long and short of it, when I, when the time came, and, and I think I'd run the course with Larry, and, and, and Larry wanted me to stay. And it wasn't, it was a little bit tense there for a while, but, you know, at the end of the day, I was looking at a championship. You know, mm. and 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 he knew that. I think deep down, he knew the time was probably up. And um, seven years was a, was a fair innings, you know. And, mm. and I think we'd repaid each other back handsomely, you mm. know. So between, so it, it was a, it was a good deal. But anyway, it was it was time to go. So um, Barry had been. Behind the scenes, and been talking with Ross and Jimmy Stone, and been talking with Ford, and he told me, "Go! Oh, you got to get Russell! You got to get Russell! <laughs> exactly right." And, and, and it was just, and, and you know, because you can imagine the meetings with him, you know, because he would have walked in. I won't do. You do your pommy accent a lot better than I do mine. And I'm a pom. And uh, he would have gone into Ross and Jimmy Stone and done exactly that. Just get him. Just sign him. You know. Yeah. And and uh, anyway, so we, we ended up believe it or not it was a lot a, some of my deals and i'll tell you about the super cheap remind me to tell you about the super cheap one yeah. uh, but um we did the deal with with ford and so we got talking with ross and jimmy and said yep so we we got a we got a I agreed on paper you know what the deal was going to be and then and then we went to ford and ford wanted to do a deal and so we met up with um uh, jeff Pilates at at Ford. The Ben of Ford. Yeah, honestly, one of the best guy. I mean, I've I've met a lot of uh, directors, CEOs, and uh, of companies. Seriously, he was a star. It's such a sad loss. Uh, mm. Such a great bloke, a bloke that you know ran one of the biggest motor companies in Australia, right? Mm. And uh, would drive himself. To, could have drivers. Got a yeah Hollywood Lemos so used to get an XR8 drive to and from work. You know, and rev up in front of his neighbours. Kept it real. Mm-hmm. Great bloke. <laughs> we met him down here at um, uh, at Marina Mirage, um, Dan at SeaWorld. There, um, he was down here on holidays with his family. Said, "Let's meet up." Uh, went down with Baz. Um, had lunch with him. Had a coffee. You know, thought thongs. You no, know, not a suit in sight. You know, shorts and thongs, whatever. Sat there for an hour. Uh, Nutted out a deal, shook hands, that Done. was it. Done. That was a deal. Amazing. So he, he's, a, he's a guy that runs, you know, like, like I said, runs Ford Australia. Mm. And here we are in thongs doing a, a multi-year deal, you know, and bang. Just a, just like that. But again, it was cool, you know, because mm. not lawyered up, not, uh, no no accounts in sight, just bang, there it is, do the mm. deal. And, and and that was it. And we came away went back to Baz's place and we sort of looked at him and said, oh, guess we're moving. <laughs> yeah, and that was it. So, uh, yeah, we're still living in Melbourne at that stage. So, yeah, we ended up buying a block of land up here and building a joint, and, and uh, moved up here and been up here ever since. But uh, yeah, so he was, uh, he was, he was a card. But um, yeah, he was, he's was very instrumental in putting that deal together. And and out of that, out of that came that elusive championship. You know, and really? after after four times being runner up, I was getting a bit edgy. I can tell you.
1: So I'll bet you were. I'll bet you were. Brett Murray talks about getting you with a PR stunt in a wedding dress on the front page of the Adelaide Advertiser to shake the bridesmaid's tag. What did you say to him when he pitched that one at you?
0: (laughs) Oh, you can imagine what I said when he called. (laughs) Because we were we're in Adelaide driving around doing the usual PR gigs before the race, you know, and he throws that one at me. I said, Brett, you're seriously on drugs. Like, I I don't know what you're taking, but they're not mind-enhancing. Like, she ain't happening. You know, she ain't happening. And he said, well, look, here's the deal. Um, if you don't do it, they're going to put Scaife with a story about Mark Scaife um, about something or other. It would be something trivial.
1: Front page of your hometown or your old hometown. Yeah, <laughs> they're,
0: they're going to stick him on the front page if you don't do it. And I, so phone went quiet for probably a couple of minutes. And I said, you're a mongrel crusher. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's my nemesis. That's my weak spot. You know, anything to undermine scave I'm in all right, so that was it. that was it, so in the end we um uh went down to this damn dress shop and uh adorning the the hairiest pair of legs you've ever seen in your life and um yeah, so we put this dress on, and yeah, off we go so uh one and only time i've um I've done a bit of cross dressing but anyway um, <laughs> we, did, we did it and, uh, um yeah, anyway, got front cover <laughs> I'm not sure it's such a good idea or not, but um, yeah, things you got to do, eh, mate.
1: Most definitely, most definitely. But it uh, worked. We yeah. it worked. We shook the bridesmaid. You, you did. I, I think he even made a bridesmaid's dress for the celebration at, uh, at at Phillip Island, or had someone make it. And and Ross Stone got a bit nervous because it was a red dress, and I think you guys were going to cut it. And Ross thought it might have had like a Holden, you know, undertone or something, and that wasn't what it wasn't. It wasn't what it was about at all, was it? Uh,
0: Ross Ross got very nervous about it. I, I tell you, Ross. <laughs> Ross, because he's he, they look uh, fantastic team owners, mm. car builders. The dynamic between those two are incredible, considering two brothers. Because usually brothers try to try to buddy kill each other, um, uh, they got on so well because each of them had their place. You know, yeah. Ross ran the show. Jimmy was on the spanners. So, and and neither of them conflicted between the two. You know, they just got mm. on, and that's why they were so successful. But. Uh, Ross in particular was um, so nervous about he, – he was the worst for reading fan comments and, you know, he used to drag me on all the time. I just picked up a magazine. I see all these fan comments and uh, they seem to be a little bit – I said, Ross, it's 10 people, all right? Don't worry about it. So, oh, yeah, but, you know, you, you, maybe you should, you know, not do that or, or apologise. I said, don't. He was always paranoid about anything negative, you know. So So I said to Ross – mate, you're probably going to have a fair bit coming at you, you know, over the years. So you're probably going to have to relax a little bit on this one because <laughs> it's just the way I roll and it's going to be, mate, you'll get race wins, uh, but you're going to probably cop a few PR nightmares. And, and just after I said that... Um, little incident in 2003 cropped up, which, yeah, um, which, uh, yeah that that uh, that got him going. <laughs> that um, he was, uh, yeah, that that was that caused him a few uh, sleepless nights. I think that one because um, he, he doesn't like um, any waves, Ross. He likes everything to run smooth, and when you get when you, all of a sudden you get a few things thrown at you, um, yeah, he uh, didn't know how to handle that one. Yeah, 3 was a bit of a challenge.
1: That's the end of part two of my podcast with Supercast Champion and Bathurst winner Russell Ingall. Now, normally this would be the checkered flag for another episode, but you're in luck. Russell, as you can tell, is enjoying the discussion, so he's kindly going to stick around for even more. We have a third part for you with The Great Man. Head back to the Rusty's Garage Library and fire up part three. He talks, frankly, about the future of supercars. How he did that championship-winning burnout while hanging out the side of the Falcon. Don't try that at home. One of the most talked-about incidents in the history of the sport and how deep the rivalry ran with Mark Scaife. Some reflections on his time in TV and he tackles some of your questions.